0: Hey, I just wanna say thank you for checking out this message today. I hope that it helps you, that it encourages you, and that you are able to learn a little bit more about who God is and why so many people throughout history have chosen to become followers of Jesus. If you enjoy this message and you wanna hear more, you can find us on Facebook, or YouTube, but ultimately you can find everything you need to know at clcwinnipeg.ca. There you can find more messages, you can find our social handles, ways to get connected to our church, and if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do that as well. And like I said before, I hope that you are encouraged by the message you're about to hear. God bless you. Well, hello everybody, and welcome to Christian Life Church Online. We are really glad that you joined with us today And uh, we hope that as you do join with us, that the message and the bit of worship that we bring to you will be an encouragement to you. And uh, you can jump online with us if you want to communicate with us while you watch either on Facebook or on uh, YouTube. Uh, We'd love to chat with you as well. Our services are taking place uh, in person at 9.30 and 11.10 on Sunday mornings as well. But we're glad you joined with us today online. Well, today we're going to uh, continue our walk through the Bible as we do our cover to cover of every book of the Bible. And today I'm going to be talking to you from the book of Malachi and uh, specifically we're going to be looking at Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. Just to give you a little bit of a, an overview of the book of Malachi, this is the final book in the Old Testament, and it's named after its author, Malachi. In, in Hebrew, the, the name Malachi means messenger. He was a prophet, and he had a message of, of judgment uh, to the nation of Judah. They were familiar with temple worship, and uh, this was during the rule of the Persian Empire that this uh, book took place, which, and the, uh, the Persian Empire uh, was really in place from about 538 to 333 BC. Now, uh, Judah had been in exile, and they were back in their land. The exile was over, the 70-year exile was over, and they were back in their land now for about a hundred years. This takes place about a thousand years after Abraham uh, was on the scene, and uh, so these people had some history, they had some experience, they'd been through the exile, they had uh, remembered God's deliverance and they knew that they, they knew about the temple and and worship and sacrifices that really had become in this particular period of time unacceptable to God for some different reasons and they were still backsliding after all that they'd been through they were still backsliding and They really did need God's intervention once again (laughs) to get them back on track. They had developed an apathy for the things of God. There's corruption in the priesthood. The people were spiritually dead. And you know, we asked the question, could the Western church relate to this today? I think in some ways it could. In Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, they were actually questioning, does God even love us? And they were complaining about their situation. And it's very interesting that while they were wondering if God loved them, and they were complaining about the circumstances they found themselves in, that God points his finger right back where it belongs, at them where they had sinned. Or where had they sinned? Well, their sacrifices. They were unacceptable to God. They were giving God their worst and not their best. And if you go through the Old Testament, when you look at some of the details of what God required in sacrifices, he did not want um, wounded or or, uh, damaged animals being sacrificed to him. He wanted their best. Uh, Their priests were giving false teaching, bad instruction. They were living badly and the people had become very unfaithful to God. They were insincere in their worship. There was hypocrisy. And you know the other thing is they had become unfaithful. They were mistreating their wives and it's in the book of Malachi where God actually makes that statement, I hate divorce. See, their hearts had become hardened toward their spouses and uh, they weren't treating each other well at all. There was fraud. There was sorcery. They were oppressing other people. And they were robbing God. They were robbing God in tithes and offerings. But Malachi uh, concludes, or ends, with him pointing to the coming of Christ, the Messiah. So there's hope there. Well, I want to share with you um, a little bit of a story. I've been reading this this book that was given to us uh, recently over Christmas, and it's called The Intercessor, and it's about the life of a man by the name of Rhys Howells. Now he was a man of God. He was Welsh. Uh, he was a miner, and he um, he became an intercessor, one who called out to God, and was used of God greatly. Had a very uh, his ministry expanded. It was vast. But before he got to that place, God. Uh, kept putting his finger on different areas of Reese's life. And there wasn't an area of his life that God did not claim as his own. And as he continually submitted uh, every area of his life, God began to powerfully anoint him and set him apart. And he saw prayers answered. There was a great deal of of dedication and personal consecration that went into his relationship with God. And as a result of that, God answered his many prayers. And Reese Howells uh, gained a reputation of being an intercessor, was well known for that. It's interesting that God even demanded absolute surrender of Reese's worldly possessions. Now, if you read between the lines as you go through this book, The Intercessor, you see that Reese was pleased or or proud of the fact that he had been making some good money and he'd been able to put some money away and, and so he had this financial security that he was building up. And God asked for it all and asked for him to completely come to a place of total dependence on him, and total surrender. So, basically, if God said, give it all away, then Reese would give it all away. And, and out of his emptiness, his financial emptiness, his financial need, he had to learn to trust God to provide. And that meant expanding a ministry, it meant purchasing buildings for uh, various ministry purposes, um, and he had to learn to trust God in today's dollars for millions and millions of dollars. He had to trust God. And he oftentimes was in a position where he would make a commitment, make a decision that he felt God wanted him to make a commitment to buy a building or a property. And he didn't have the money. And he had to trust God. It was also very interesting that he never made appeals to people. For money, he never told them about the needs. He just prayed and believed God, and God would provide. So it was a very interesting uh, <laughs> going back and forth between God and Reese on this whole aspect of giving God everything. Well, when we look at um, at giving to God, we oftentimes start with the tithe and uh, the tithe is a tenth, ten percent, It's a starting point. And then people will oftentimes go from the tithe to giving beyond that to uh, various ministries. Now we have something going on, you know in the news this week they've been talking about inflation, the highest inflation rates in the country in the last 30 years. They're talking now about hiking interest rates and and that there could probably be a couple of interest rate increases this year. So people who, you know, have large mortgages, lines of credit, credit cards, they're rightly concerned. There's a a squeeze on people's finances. The cost of living is going up. And this is a big issue. But I want to take us back to Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 to 12. I mentioned a moment ago, that Reese Howells was called by God to give God complete reign over his finances. And he had to completely submit everything to God, and and God just said, I want it all. And then I mentioned that where a lot of people start is with a tithe in giving to God. And uh, that is 10%, one-tenth. And so then we pick up the theme in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 12, and it talks about the tithe. And it says, God says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse. The whole nation of you because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord. Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty." Now, a lot of times people look at the tithe and they say, it's gone, it doesn't exist anymore. That was part of the Old Testament law. And if you look at the Old Testament, The tithe being 10% of of produce, and flocks, and cattle, and and all of this stuff belonged to God. That first 10% was offered to him. And this tithe was assigned to the Levites, or the priests, as a reward or in payment for their service. They were without uh, material provision. They didn't have land and, and businesses to run. They were doing spiritual work. And God had been cut out of the picture and people weren't tithing. And it was more than a suggestion as we look at this passage of scripture God was really firm on this issue. And when you look at verse 8 and 9, there's some really strong words that that God has to say. And and God proclaimed that in them not tithing they were actually robbing God. A number of years ago I had um, come to the church here to pick up our kids when they were teenagers and uh, took them back home and uh, parked the van in the driveway and I forgot to lock it. I don't know that that really mattered but it had an alarm and, and all of that but I'd forgotten to lock it and it just so happened that that very night somebody came along and stole our vehicle. Now I gotta tell you that I felt pretty violated. I thought what right have they got to to come into my driveway into my property and take what's mine steal it and use it for their own purposes we we avoid having things stolen from us like crazy (laughs) we 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 want to prevent it we want to protect our stuff at all costs we you know we have alarms in our houses and lights around them and and some people have video cameras and, and locks and and we, we, we hide stuff, we insure our stuff, we, we have security software so we don't get hacked. We have all of these things in place because we don't want to have anybody rob us, steal from us. And likewise, we really do, I think most people really do try to be honest and, and avoid being a thief. So when you put yourself in God's shoes what he's saying is that tenth belongs to me and you're keeping it and God had an aversion to robbery and theft every bit as much as you and I do every bit as much and so he actually called these people robbers because they weren't giving he called it robbery. So the question that we ask today is, does it still matter? Or is this just some Old Testament thing that we don't have to worry about today now that we're under the New Covenant? Well, when we look at the Old Testament, if you go back to Abraham, now this was before the giving of the Old Testament law that came through Moses. And so there is Abraham, and he met up with a priest, a high priest, by the name of Melchizedek. And he gave Melchizedek um, a tenth of his possessions. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1 to 2 it says this, Melchizedek was a king of Salem and a priest of God most high. And he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and he blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So it actually, this whole practice of tithing actually preceded the law of Moses. It was, it was before the law was even given. And then in 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 to 11 it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generation will result in thanksgiving to God. So there's some principles here in that passage of scripture that we're to give willingly, we're to give cheerfully, we're to give generously, we're to give faithfully. The tithe was a a provision for the temple. It was God's work. It was a provision for God's work. Now, Jesus endorsed the tithe. We know that Jesus came to fulfill all the laws. Well, he actually endorsed the tithe. In the New Testament he says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Now, those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he's saying you should be practicing justice and mercy and kindness. You need to do that, but don't neglect the tithe. Because it goes to support the work of God. You know, there are things that only God through his church can accomplish in this world. The gospel. The gospel. You see, the work of God is supported by the people of God who gather. It's through the work of the church that the gospel is spread out throughout the earth. I've been involved in various uh, parachurch church ministries and, and associated with them, and it's very interesting how much every single one of them relies on the church. It always seems to go back to the church. That they get resources from, they get people from, they get references from, they get the support from. If you're going to have a strong ministry, you need that backing of the church. Well, what else does the church offer besides the gospel? Well, it, It's hope. Changed lives. Transfer, transformed societies the message of eternal life. Governments and community clubs and humane societies, charities, school systems, hospitals, they can't do that. They don't have a message of of eternal life. They don't have a message that can transform people's lives completely They don't have a message that can change the the direction and the outcome of a family that's broken and in trouble. The church has that message. And the only means of support of God's work, the only means of support of God's work, is the generosity of God's people. If the church is the hope of the world, which it is, if the church is a light in dark places, then it's up to God's people to keep the lights on, to give generously. Romans chapter 12, verse 8 talks about giving generously. Psalm 112, verse 5 says, Good will come to those who are generous and then freely conduct their affairs with justice. And then God gives some promises. When we look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he actually talks about blessings that will come. He says, I'll, I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing he won't be able to contain it. Wow, I want to have the floodgates of heaven open to me. I want to I see the windows of heaven open up over my life, my spiritual life, my material life, my walk with God, my family's life. I want to walk in the blessing of God. Next point I want to make is... Uh, how generous obedience oftentimes equals or, or it comes to bountiful blessings. When we, when we look at um, chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord. And then all the nations will call you blessed, and yours will be a delightful land. That's a promise of blessing. Now this translates into the blessings that would occur in our lives today. Yeah, we're not maybe farmers, we're not rural people, but the promise still stands true, that God will bless, and there's that promise of God's blessing. Now God moves from rebuking them, you know, you guys are robbers and thieves, to a challenge. And he says, test me. And from what I understand, this is about the only area in the Bible where God actually lays out the offer to test him. He says, test me in this and see if I will pour out so much blessing. You won't know what to do with it. There's a joy in giving. There's a joy in giving. There's there's something about giving, I find, that um, is exceedingly satisfactory, completely satisfying. There's a real joy in being able to give. And the other thing that happens when we give is there's this confidence that we can walk in that God will provide. And so it is a way, I find, to. Securing and having financial peace. Oh, There's a lot of people today that don't have financial peace. They might have a big income, but they don't have financial peace. They don't feel secure. They don't feel that there's anything backing them up. And so these promises are summed up in verse 11 and 12 that I just read. You know, of God preventing pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their their fruit before it's, it's ripe and, you know, maybe it's a washing machine that will last long after its expiry date. A car that runs and runs and runs. We don't know how God is going to work this out, but there seems to be this sense of, I'll look after stuff. I'll provide for you. And then he says, and all the nations will call you blessed. Says the Lord. All through the scriptures, God encourages generous living. He wants us to be generous. Giving is a form of worship, I think, in many ways. In Matthew chapter 6, 21, it, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not only is it a, a, a way of worshiping God, but it also reflects the condition of our heart toward God it's pretty hard to say I am completely sold out to God I am all in with God but he can't have my money it's hard to say I my life is a living sacrifice as a disciple of Jesus I am called to be a living sacrifice I'm called to crucify my flesh As a disciple of Christ, we are called to complete surrender to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we may just be Christian by name only. And and our goal isn't to be Christian by name only. Our goal is to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That means we don't hold anything back. And that may mean that it affects our finances too. See, giving is not to be based on, on guilt. It's not to be based on coercion. In fact, if, if you're ever in a church service and somebody's trying to take an offering and they're, they're laying the guilt on and shame and, and manipulation, you know what? Just walk away from it. Our giving is not supposed to be based on guilt. It's based on our love For God and our desire to be obedient to him. It flows out of a heart that is eternally grateful for Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. Give to God. Trust God. If you are concerned about your finances, if you're concerned about inflation and interest rates and debt, Trust God. Learn to trust God. Now, it doesn't mean I've run into people that are, you know, I'm just believing God He's going to wipe out my debt, and I'm going to give God this offering or that offering, and and I'm going to sow seeds. The Bible has a lot to say about debt, about financial management, about being good stewards, and we can't Escape the principles of good financial management and say well, you know what I'm tithing and nothing is happening I'm tithing and nothing is changing If you're walking through the store every week and running up huge credit card bills So there is that aspect to it as well that we have a part to play in being good stewards trusting God being obedient to God and also being good stewards I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I know it's a bit of a challenge. I know it's always tricky to talk about money. It's one of the topics in scripture that are, that's covered over and over and over again. And I also am very sensitive to the fact that, that there may be people that listen and say, "Ah, oh, yeah, the church, they just want all your money. No, we don't, we don't. Nobody's getting rich. but we do want you to be blessed, and we do want God's most and best for everyone to be in obedience. I practice this in my own life. I've done it for many years, try to lead by example, and uh, we just pray God's best for all of you. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and uh, We thank you for your provision in our lives. We recognize, Lord, that you own it all. You make it all possible for us to to be able to earn, to be able to get by. We thank you, Lord God, that you give us health, you give us provision. And Lord, for those that may be struggling with this message or following through on it, I pray, Lord, that you would help them step by step to trust you